Let's pray. Father, as we come before You right now, Lord, may Your Word speak to us, Lord, and give us the very message that You have for us this morning, the message that will address the issues that You want to address in our lives. And Lord, may we be receptive and hear. In Jesus' name, Amen. We're in the middle of a series on marriage. Uh, Finding the missing pieces, those areas that are missing that I have at least discovered and people have shared with me that are just missing in their marriage. You know, you get to, you go to marry, you get married, and then all of a sudden you think you have all the answers, and then six months after you're married, you realize you don't have nearly as many of the answers as what you thought you had, right? Anybody here like that? (laughs) Yeah. All of a sudden, you're just living in a whole new world. When I, one of the, uh, the main topics that, uh, people have wanted me to speak on is the topic of conflict. So we're going to have some fun today. And uh, my wife asked, I went out this morning and she says, so uh, how's the message? I said, well, I cut it in half. And she said, are you going to speak four weeks on conflict? And I says, yeah. She says, Martin, it's not that difficult. Just tell, tell us all to repent and do things what God tells us to do. I says, honey, I says, you know it's not that simple. She said, I know. She says, you're not going to tell them that, are you? And I says, no. She says, good, because I'm going to be in children's church. So that's our secret. In spite of our best intentions, no one tell. All right? What stay was said in here stays in here, all right? Otherwise, it may create a little conflict, all right? In spite of our best intentions, how many of you have experienced significant conflict in this last year in your marriage? <laughs> you guys want to talk afterwards? <laughs> Lars and Becca, they've been married, what, two years now? He raised his hand, she didn't, and she looked at him and gave him the evil eye. <laughs> we don't confess our sins here, Lars. How many of you have experienced significant conflict in the last week? <laughs> Lars, you're not going to raise your hand this time? <laughs> How many of you plan on experiencing significant conflict in the coming week? How many of you don't want to raise your hands because that person you're sitting next to, you're in conflict with right now? (laughs) Yeah, a little confession. It's good for the soul. Oftentimes, it's over some of the silliest issues, isn't it? Some of the dumbest issues we we get in conflict over. This last week, Kim... uh, we were having a, an overnight guest at our house on Tuesday night, and I said, "Oh, by the way, we're out of, um, we're almost out of eggs." So I don't know if Steve's going to want um, eggs in the morning. And she says, "Well, I didn't know you were going to eat all of the eggs." I said, "I didn't." I said, "We're almost out. There's two left." Well, you ate all the eggs. No, I did not eat all the eggs. I hate it when you say I did all of this or none of that. All right, those absolute statements, they drive me nuts. Now, I didn't say it to her like that. Of course, I was very pastoral about it and very nice and kind and gentle. (laughs) But what was going on within my insides, my innards, that was it. We argue about some of the dumbest things. Yes, no, I will not do that. We're going to talk about why in a moment, all right? But thank you for your suggestion, Rada. 
uh, you guys may want to sit right up here, all right? <laughs> in marriage and in life, conflict is inevitable. No matter how hard we try not to fight, not to argue, it happens. It happens to the most mature couple. It happens to every single person. I like to tell people who will sometimes come to me and say, we've never had a fight. And I'll look at them in the eye and I'll say, one of you are not necessary. Okay? One of you is not necessary. There's something broken going on. If every once in a while, there isn't something that rises up within you that says, stop. Stop. Um, Now I want us to understand that conflict, while it is inevitable, it's necessary. It's important to, to have some healthy conflict. The cross is a perfect symbol of the of the greatest conflict of all time, right? There was a conflict between divine, between God Almighty and humanity, and demonic forces. Conflict was necessary. Redemption never would have happened without that conflict. It's necessary because conflict is an invitation. It's it's an opportunity to each person at that point in time to take a different mentality from saying, "Um, I'm going to to handle conflict in a in an unhealthy way, and it's an opportunity to say, you know what, I'm going to, in the same way that the cross brought about redemption, the greatest conflict was a facilitator of redemption of our own souls. All conflict is an opportunity for redemption. It's an opportunity for us to participate in something that is very profound, and that's God's redemptive process. God uses conflict to redeem us. He uses conflict to conform us to His image, when we handle it, per, when we handle it um, well, God uses conflict to accomplish great things. Right? Remember Joseph in Genesis chapter fifty. He was thrown into prison because he was sold into slavery by his brothers. They didn't like him. They didn't like him because of, he was a very arrogant man. He was playing favorite. He was he was the favorite of of his father, and as a result of that, he got a pretty big head. And his brother said, we've had enough of this favoritism in your ego. And they dug a hole and they threw him into slavery. Fast forward a few years. Through the process of redemption, he ends up in a place of a position of power within Egypt. And his brothers have to come to him and say, we need help. They don't know it was him at the time. But he knew it was them. And when everything is, the curtain is pulled back and everyone sees what they're dealing with, Joseph looks at him and says, don't worry. As for you, you meant it for evil against me. That conflict, you guys intended to take me down. But here's the thing. God meant it for good. In order, in order to bring about this present result and to preserve many people. If that conflict had never happened, this result would have never occurred. That's a very encouraging thing 
to realize that when God, when there is conflict, is an opportunity to participate in God's redemptive plan. It's an opportunity to destroy one another as well, right? But there's a bigger opportunity to present, to participate in God's redemptive plan. Now, when conflict happens, when it does erupt, people respond differently. And how you respond, how I respond, can either make it worse and actually destroy people, or it can make it redemptive, a positive result. Now, there are three ways, general categories, in which people respond when conflict erupts, be it in a marriage, or be it in a community of faith, or be it in the workforce. Okay? There's three default settings, well, two default settings um, that, that happen that we fall into. There are those who are peace fakers. Okay? Now I wanted to ask you a question. This is where you get a chance to, to respond. How might, based upon that term peace faker, how might a person who is a peace faker respond in conflict? How might they approach it? Any thoughts or ideas? <laughs> yes, dear. Oh, thank you, Keith. I didn't have to say that. Yes, dear. Okay, any other thoughts? They avoid it. What's that? Can't we all just get along? Let's kind of gloss everything over. Now, there are some good, positive things about a peacemaker. And that is, it kind of gives you, there's some healthy aspects to it. Um, sometimes you may want to just not poke the bear. All right? But a peacemaker, generally, when that's their default setting, they say, I don't want anything to do with conflict. And so they cherish or they worship the whole attitude of avoidance. I don't want to deal with it. And generally, they'll take a posture that says, problem? What problem? There's no problem here. What problem is there? There's no problem. And they pretend that the problem doesn't even exist. They're more interested in... in Avoiding conflict than they are in resolving the issue. But here's the problem. The issue never goes away. The issue never goes away. And when avoidance gets to the point where suddenly you can no longer avoid it, when it, avoid it when avoidance takes, when it takes over and you get to the end of that, your capacity to deal with it, then you begin to say, whatever, dear. Whatever you say. And then you be, that's basically the withholding of an opinion in order to accommodate the person. You just say, I'm not even going to tell you what I think. I'm just going to totally avoid this and I'm just going to say whatever you say. Now over time, when this becomes our pattern, our habit, this results in isolation, loneliness, and usually bitterness. Because the person who is playing, playing the avoidance game Something happens within their own souls and anger begins to build and build and build because they no longer have any kind of a voice. They're no longer allowed to speak their mind in a healthy way or in an unhealthy way. And pretty soon they just keep stuffing it until you can't stuff it any longer. And at some point, the relationship begins to get hollowed out. And pretty soon you look at the other person and say, forget it. I'm out of here. I'm out of here. Now they can check out emotionally, relationally, 
or can they can begin to exact to to check out physically and say, you know what, I'm literally out of here. I've seen this. I've read about this many times where people, when they refuse to deal with conflict, and you've got someone who is an avoider, a peace faker, pretty soon they say, I'm done. And the other person's looking at them and says, I have no idea why. I have no idea why. It's because the, the relationship has been hollowed out of any meaning, of any substance, and the issues never, ever go away. And this can result in all kinds of passive-aggressive behavior, things like that. So that's a peace faker. Then you've got the peace breaker. The peace breaker. Now, how might a peace breaker approach conflict? Any thoughts? What's that? Seeking conflict out. Yes. Other thoughts? What's that? Placing blame. Yes. It's not my fault. It's your fault. Right? Other thoughts? A peace faker cherishes or worships power. And it can be a passive-aggressive way or it can be a direct way. But regardless, at some point in a peace faker's or a peace breaker's life, they begin to say, and they have within their spirit, and I'm simplifying this, I want things my way. I want things to be my way. And if you disagree with me, if you disagree with me, if over time there's, you start to see just this friction that, that, that develops. And again, it's not about resolving the issue, the, the issue. It's about winning the issue. It's about having power. And you say, I want things my way. And then you say, develops into, I'm right and you're wrong. And now this can happen in a couple of ways, and I've seen this in my own life, not on Kim's part towards me, but me, but on my part towards Kim. We begin to engage, and you have an argument, or you have what I call an invigorating discussion. Okay? And I take a role of persuading her. I have a director type of personality. Uh, in my immature, my natural, fleshly self, that is translated in, let me tell you what needs to happen. Now, I'm also good with words, usually. So therefore, I will say, now let me convince you why you need to believe this. Let me tell you why you need to believe this. So, I want to persuade you. I want to woo you to my argument. And if that doesn't work, then I will tell you. And that takes on a much more of an authoritarian role of says, you know, I'm the boss, you're not. Submit to me, woman! I haven't said that to her in 20 years. Thank God, I learned. It took me 10 years to learn. Now, I didn't say it like that. I said it much more pastoral. So, but, but you get the idea. And if that doesn't work, if the authoritarian approach doesn't work, then it becomes more about coercion and control. And then that can develop into an attitude that says, I'll show you. Where you begin to use control, manipulation, and punishment. 
control, manipulation, and punishment. Now, when people engage in these ways, why do they do that? Why, do, why are there even peace fakers and peace breakers among us? Here's the reason. We don't know any better. We don't really know any better. Oftentimes, people have no idea as to why they engage the way they do. They engage the way they do because that's what they were taught. That's what was modeled before them. And that's what's worked for them. And they have no idea that that's how they come across. It was a revelation to me when my wife was able to tell me, you're a dominating dummy. Really? Who said that? I didn't think I was. For me, I just called it good leadership. I really did. I know. You think, oh, Martin, how could you be that stupid? I had a master's degree at the time. But it was still that way because that's all I knew. That's what was modeled for me in my home. That's what was modeled for me in the workplace. I was a peace breaker. I was the one who used power to get my way. Because my motivations were noble, then I thought that well, that was justified. That justified it. And because I had no other model in which to look at, I thought, I'm okay. I'm okay. So it's been the last 15 years or so has been for me a relearning process of discovering how should we deal with conflict? How should I deal with conflict with other people here? I know you can't believe that that actually happened, can you? How should I deal with conflict here? How should I deal with conflict in my own home? How do we do that? How do we do that? Jesus has a very different perspective. And it's this. Don't be a peace faker avoiding conflict. Don't be a peace breaker using power to get your way, to woo whatever method or means that you use. Become what he calls a peacemaker. He has a very different vision. He says in Matthew 5, he said, Blessed are the peacemakers. For they, they are the ones literally in the Greek, they are the ones who will be called, and here's a very important phrase, the sons of God. Now, this is a title. In the original understanding, it's a title that Jesus grants to a specific group of people. Not everyone can claim this title. And He says they are sons of God. They are not children of God. He could have used that term. But that's not what He is referring to. He says they are called, He gives them the title, sons of God. A very important distinction. In Jewish thought, to be the call, the son of someone, means that you are a partaker in their very character, in their very heart. 
And he is saying a peacemaker, not a peace breaker, not a peace faker, but a peacemaker are the ones who when conflict happens, when they engage people, they reflect the very heart of God, which is very redemptive. It doesn't seek to avoid conflict and just kind of shove it to the side. It doesn't seek to have power over another person and get your way. Instead, it's it's redemptive in its goal and in its nature. We have the character of God in how we choose to engage in conflict with others. When those emotions begin to rise up within us and our defaults begin to kick in, there's something that happens within us that says, stop! I will not respond in kind. I will not seek to avoid and just back away and say, I want nothing to do with this. Whatever you say, honey. Whatever you say, dear. Or whatever you want. I won't tell you what I think. How many of you have been in a situation where you're with someone and you ask them their opinion and they say whatever you want? Sometimes they'll just say whatever. Now sometimes that's legit. Other times they're trying to avoid something. Jesus says this isn't about power. It's not about avoidance. It's about redemption. Redemption. They have a peacemaker, someone who has the very heart of God and how they choose to handle conflict. They don't cherish it. They don't avoid power. They don't avoid it. Or they, they, they avoid, the peacemaker avoids power and they avoid um, faking. They cherish redemption. Now, why? How does a person become a peacemaker? in the very core of their being. How do they learn to do this? How do they engage in this process? Why are they even motivated to engage in conflict in a different kind of way? It's because when they look at the Gospel, when they look at the Gospel, they're stunned. And they realize that relationships, healthy, redemptive relationships, are a priority to God. Relationships aren't something that you can just throw away. Relationships aren't something that you can just walk on. Relationships are not just a commodity to be used. Relationships are very, very precious to God. In fact, He demonstrates how precious they are when He sent His Son to redeem us and to bring us into relationship with Him. To eliminate, to deal with that conflict, that war that was between us and Him. He comes into the midst of that war. He offers an alternative. It's called redemption. And He says, this is worth it. This is worth it. So when conflict erupts through time and practice, peacemakers, peacemakers have a wholehearted attitude and a commitment to do everything within their power. They have a wholehearted attitude to do with everything within their power. Very important phrase. To learn to repair damaged relationships. Repair damaged relationships. Now today, I'm just kind of giving you a, a big picture overview. and We'll begin to dive into some of this more next week. We've got to kind of create the framework in terms of what a peacemaker is. They have a heart 
and say, I will redo everything within my power to repair damaged relationships. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus identifies this. Just a few verses, after, about 10 verses, 12 verses after He talks about being a peacemaker, He introduces this concept of anger. And yes, we are going to deal with the issue of what is righteous anger versus unrighteous anger in a couple of weeks. But He says this, If you are offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, he has something against you, not that you have something against him or her, but this brother or this sister has something that's against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother to the best of your ability. Then come and offer your gift. And some of us may be thinking, but Martin, he or she is the one that has the problem with me. Why do I got to go to them? Why do I have to go to that, that person? That person should be coming to me. See, a peacemaker doesn't look at blame. They don't look at categories of, I'm going to wait till this person comes to me. They understand that relationships are very important to God. And whether I've done something to that person or that person has done something to me, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who did what to the other person. All that matters with God is this, that reconciliation begin to take place. That you go and you be reconciled to your brother. Some of us may be thinking, Martin, it's easier said than done. How many of you think that? Because all of a sudden, you start getting into some very messy stuff. We're not going to get into that yet, but I just want us to ask us this question. Do I have a whatever-it-takes attitude to do whatever is within my power? Whatever is within my power. I don't have all the power, but to do whatever is within my power to go to this other person regardless of whether or not they did something to me or I did something to them and repair that broken relationship? Do I have a whatever-it-takes attitude? Because if you don't, that reveals something about us. That reveals something about our understanding of the Gospel. Or our lack of understanding of the Gospel. Or our lack of willingness to allow the Gospel to shape our relationships. Be it in community, or be it in marriage. See, our willingness to do this is a barometer as to just how much I've allowed the Gospel to shape my life. So if I'm not willing to do that, that reveals that I'm living in my marriage, in my community, more out of my old nature, like we talked about last week, than I am out of my new nature. And it enslaves me. It enslaves me. I've never met a person 
who was resistant to go to another person who didn't feel right about it. I'm not going to go because. And you've got to understand that something is broken when we say something like that. In whatever words we may choose to use. However pastoral we may try to make it. However Christian we may try to be. What's missing in that perspective is the core of the Gospel. Did Jesus sit back and say, Father, they are the ones who wronged us. They should come to us. Make them work for it. Make them slaughter all the animals to cover all the sins. Make them do it. Did He... Is that the Gospel? No. That's religion. Instead, He says, right now, we're going to lay all that aside. Jesus, You're going to go. You're going to go. And we're going to do whatever it takes to repair this ugly, busted, broken relationship. We're going to do whatever it takes. Right? They have a wholehearted attitude. And just when people find out that someone may have a problem with them, it's a reminder to us, and a peacemaker has this kind of mentality. They say this. They understand this core truth. I may not understand how I wronged this person, but I do know this. Relationships are very fragile. Right? Relationships are very fragile. Oftentimes, we hurt people and we have no idea that we did it. We have no idea that we did it. And so therefore, when we find out about it, if we have a gospel mentality, a gospel approach that reflects the way in which Jesus came to us, that reflects the kind of person that He wants to, by His transforming Holy Spirit, turn us into, we have that understanding. We say, you know what? I'm sorry. Help me understand how I did this or how you experienced me in this way. Help me understand because I want to deal with it. I want to deal with it. Relationships are very fragile. And oftentimes we hurt people and we don't even know it. And oftentimes, people are often who are hurt are hurt for reasons that they may not even understand. But it doesn't matter. We go to the person anyhow. So, a peacemaker is someone who has a wholehearted commitment to do everything within their power to repair broken relationships and to develop healthy relationships. To develop healthy relationships. And Hopefully, we'll be able to dive into this. But let me summarize it in this way. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, after he has spent three chapters talking about all that God did, of what He did for us in choosing us, adopting us, and forgiving us, and giving us Christ's righteousness and His power, to how He has taken, He has broken away all of the old racist attitudes between various groups of people, 
and races of people. And how He takes and He wants to shape us. Finally, in chapter 4, He says, Therefore, I urge you, because of all of this that happened, all that the Gospel's done within our lives, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. To live your life worthy. It's a calling. The Gospel is a calling. It's a, bro- it's, it's a calling for our lives and our willingness to do so. To live into that by the power of His Spirit. Our willingness to do that is a barometer of how much the Gospel has changed us. I urge you to live your life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. There's nothing about power in there. There's nothing about winning an argument. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And make every effort, every effort to keep that which Christ has won for us. The unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That's relationships. In marriage, with our kids, with others. The whole idea of make every effort. That's a, in the original, that's a, a phrase that the gladiator would use. A, a gladiator trainer. One who is training others to go into the ring. To go into the Colosseum. And after he's trained them, he'd look them in the eye and he'd say, make every effort to stay alive today. Put everything into it. Everything into it. Leave nothing out. Because I want you to be able to walk out of this ring. I want you to walk out of this Colosseum in this fight to the death. I want you to be the one to walk out of this Colosseum alive. You spare no effort. When you look at it like that, it's pretty profound, isn't it? Make every effort to come out alive. To maintain, to keep that which Christ has called us into as a community of faith, as husbands and wives. That peace, that shalom, that sense of God's peace in us, that sense of God's peace among us, and our ability to be able to flourish in the midst of that. That's shalom. Make every effort. No half-hearted attempts. When we don't do that and we stop the power of the Gospel, we hinder it, we stifle it, we callous ourselves against it. And we say, I will not do it. I will avoid. I will worship avoidance. I will worship power. The issues are never resolved. And those issues become like compound interest. You may think, oh, this isn't, I'm not going to deal with this. But that compounds upon this and upon this. And pretty soon, just like debt, it begins to harden around us. And begins to destroy us from the inside out. So that's why Jesus says, break all the religious rules. Even if you're in the middle of church, even if you're in the middle of communion, if you are aware, either because you have heard from others, 
or God reminds you as you are in His presence that there's a brother or there's a sister and maybe that is your spouse. And they have something against you. Break all the rules. Get up even if you're sitting in the front of the sanctuary. Get up and walk out and say, I've got to talk about this. I've got to put every effort. I've got to make every effort to do my best to repair this broken relationship. That's more important than even trying to get right with God. Because God makes it clear that when the Gospel is involved, and if you have something against your spouse, you have something against others, or they have something against you that you have, that you have the power to be able to resolve, says, you get up and you go do it. That's more important than this. The Gospel says, if you're not right on a vertical level, on a horizontal level, you aren't going to be right on a vertical level. Okay? It's that important. So they learn, they have a wholehearted effort, wholehearted commitment to do everything within their power so that they can learn also call one another to call others to do the same. And all I want to say about this is this. We have a commitment to healthy relationships. Gospel-centered, gospel-informed relationships. So when people come to you and say, did you hear what my spouse, my husband did or my wife did? You don't take up sides with that individual. Instead, you have a redemptive role in that individual's life. And you begin to say, what is the gospel? How does the gospel shape my understanding of how they need to engage this issue? Okay? We have a gospel centered community. We have a gospel centered marriage. Okay? So, that's all I want to say about that. I want to give you all a chance to ask any questions. So, I'm going to ask Nate if he would play the. Play the uh, Whatever. Actually, where is Nate? There he is. All right. And this time is, I don't promise to answer all your questions, but this will help me questions that I need, understand the questions I need to answer. So who has, who has a comment, a question? What is God saying to you? What, what are you wrestling with? Okay. You have to raise your hand high, otherwise I won't see you. Back there. Run, Nate, run. Could you just address a little bit when you talk about do anything, you know, to live at peace, but when the motive behind that person sometimes to do anything, like talk about um, when you're doing everything and then you're not getting the expected results of doing everything to live at peace with that person. I'm not sure I understand the question. I claim ignorance. Uh, someone would write these questions down also. Larry, would you? I know you usually have your iPad. I guess okay. my concern would be dealing with the health of the individual first, of understanding why you're trying to live at peace with another person. Because if you've got an unhealthy, skewed view 
of getting peace in your relationship, that can cause even greater conflict because you're not doing it for the gospel purposes. You're doing it still to get your way. Oh, okay. So I, I'm not at peace with my wife and I just haven't convinced her yet? <laughs> or I'm not at peace with my wife and by the way, um, you know, I, I'm just going to go ahead and kind of smooth everything over so that... Um, uh, I can avoid the situation. Is that that's? I'm assuming that's what you're saying. So if not, just let me know. Um, those are really good questions. Um, do I have a phone a friend here? <laughs> let me uh, let me um, think on that. Steve, you had a comment. My perception of what Jackie's asking is the person is trying to do whatever they can to remedy, remedy the problem with the wrong motives. Yes. If, if I read her right. And we cannot go into peacemaking with selfish motives. To get what, what I want. Right. Okay. Well said. What, what's that, Brian? Yeah, it goes back to power thing. So, you know, I'm kind of struggling with that. So, um, yes, I see what you're saying. I just want to put some thought into it. Larry. I got lots of phone friends, all right? Lifelines. I heard something slightly different, so I want to say what I heard to see if I was close. What I heard was what happens when you, regardless of your motives, you're, you are trying to do what, exactly what you're saying and, and working your hardest to work it out with the other person. The other person simply isn't responding what does that do to your attitude okay. toward them? Okay. How long do you let your head against the wall? I understand that. Okay. How long do you butt your head against the wall? Is that is that a good good uh, summary, Jackie? Mike. Yeah. Um, let me let me chew on that. There's there's all kinds of things that are going on in my head right now, all kinds of voices. I need to quiet them down and figure out which one to listen to. <laughs> it's a great question because it deals with behind it, it deals with backstage issues of motivation and things like that. So let me um, let me chew on that and uh, I will address that next week. What does it mean to have a whatever it takes attitude? Um, even when, it kind of goes back to Bethany Ide's, uh, Gapcha's question a couple of weeks ago, and she says, what happens when only one person's willing to work it out? So let me address that separately, all right? Okay, yes? I think what we're struggling with is uh, we're terrified of the mess that can uh, result in trying to address conflict when you're both, you've both, you've both experienced pain. Um, the person who has hurt you and you've hurt that person, you can't really tell how to resolve that conflict when you're both at fault and you're trying to find the answer to that, to that conflict to resolve everything when you don't know who to blame or uh, who's in the right and that can get really messy. And yes, you're can right. Hold you, you can hold yourself back from actually entering into that conflict when you don't even know, yes. you know what the truth is. And let me, tell, let me respond to that in two ways. One is, whenever we have an attitude that says, let me tell you what you did wrong. Um, let, me, let me tell you what you did wrong and what you needed to do right. 
We're, we are bringing to the table the kind of person that says, you're the one to blame. And by the way, I own nothing in this. Now that may not be how you feel. That may not be, excuse me, that may not be what you believe. But regardless, that's how you are presenting and, and, and framing the argument. Okay? And sometimes, even in, the, even in the emotion of what's going on in people's lives in the midst of conflict, sometimes we get really totally confused and say, I don't really know what the issue is. And that's when you have to go and say, you know what, Lord, let's bring a third party into this. A person who is wise. A person who can discern. Uh, a person who can say, let me work with you on this. And would you work with us on this so that we can discern how how we need to work through this and resolve this. And when one person wants to do that, it's great, but you don't have all the power. Uh, it takes both individuals to be willing to say, I will humble myself and I will take and I will, I will focus on what I am bringing to the table. And I will not focus upon what you are bringing to the table, especially apart from a third party. Because sometimes we do need to talk about issues like, this is how I experience you when you do this. It's um, kind of like me and my wife. Sometimes I just have to tell her just this last week, I says, when you say it like this, all of a sudden something rises up within me and I want to fight back. And um, I said, maybe if you, it would help me, be helpful to me if you framed it like this, if you said it like this. Um, that would just be more helpful to me. So that kind of thing. I don't know if I'm doing very good on these questions. I've done better in the past, but this is hard, hard stuff. I just had one quick comment. One is I think it's really tempting to focus on the outcome rather than doing what God calls us to do. And so it's like, well, I want to guarantee that if I do the right thing, the right thing will happen, that being my definition of the right thing. But I think sometimes God calls us to love people just as Christ loved us when we, he, we were his enemies and do what he would do and love this person even though it's hard and we want the outcome guaranteed ahead of time and I think that's a tough place to be sometimes I know you live in in the Spokane area would you move over here <laughs> you just nailed it because we want to look at I, I will I will come into this re resolution because you need to be fixed and and that's not the right you can't do that you can't come into it with that. You've got to come in owning your own stuff. Secondly, you've got to come in knowing that God's purpose in this conflict is not to resolve the issue. That God's purpose in this conflict is to shape you as an individual by the power of the Gospel. Okay? So that you come out a different kind of person when you, as you go through this process. God's all about redemptive process. Not necessarily the outcome of, okay, finally this conflict will be solved. See, that's where we buy, we got to understand that we need to buy into God's purpose, His redemptive process in this, and see how God's going to use it to change my life, okay, and thus others. Yes? So I wanted to um, go back to the peacemaker thing that, that Jackie was addressing, and so I'm a peacemaker. I mean, I know I am. God's created me to be. <clears throat> and so our temperaments, one of the hardest things in my life is when I've done everything in my power to bring peace and that person wants nothing to do with me. That's been a lifelong process. And, and just because our temperaments, I mean, that's so painful when somebody's, I mean, I had a brother for, you know, 10 years cut me out of his life. 
And but through that, God, you know, helped me to just find freedom, knowing, you know, this is what I'm responsible for. But my security is rooted in Christ, even when somebody's rejecting me. I'm as painful as that. So, I mean, you've got that other temperament that we're the ones running around. We don't want people mad at us. We want peace at all costs. We, but there's a balance, and there are times when you go to somebody, with, and I love the scripture that says, as much as depends on you, be at peace with mm-hmm. all men. But you know what? No way are you going to be at peace with everybody. I mean, there's going to be people that don't want anything to do with you, that don't like you, and us type of person, personalities... We need to, you know, just pray for wisdom to know, God, free me from what I can't control. Um, That's been a lifelong process for me. So I I hope that helps the other temperament that, you know, because that can be huge bondage. Yes, yes, it can. Um, And you really become avoidance. You become an avoider at that point and just kind of gloss over potentially um, very um, unhealthy, sick, oftentimes demonic issues. I just say, I'm just not going to talk about it anymore. I'm not going to deal with it anymore, this or that. Um, you See, that's why we got to focus on what we bring to the table. we got to focus upon what God, we, what God wants to do in my life or your life. And there are many times, even last night we were with a couple, and my wife said, sometimes I realized I could not change Martin. I just had to turn him over to God and let God work. And God works very quickly in my life. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think we went over 24 or 48 hours when, when she had done that and God was, had me on my knees and saying, you screwed up. You need, you need to get it right. So, okay, Nate? Time for, say, one more. Um, should you repair... Uh, your relationship, even though you have a have been divorced. Yes. Now let me qualify by what I mean by that, and that is that you, I think, it's very healthy. And this happens in divorce. It happens when people leave churches on bad terms, things like that. That you have a responsibility to go to that person and say, "This is what I need to own in the demise of my marriage." Don't do it, though, with the expectation of getting back together. You don't do this so that you can get that. You do this because you want to be healthy and holy before God. And you want Him to work in your life uh, regardless of what the outcome may bring in that relationship. Okay? So just because you go, for, for instance, you, know, you and Stacy, you go to Stacy and say, this is what I need to own. Don't do it with the expectation that you're going. I'm going to do this so I can get that. That's manipulation. You can have that as a hope, but you don't have that as a goal. Okay? Because if she were to say, "Forget you," you know, I appreciate that, but we're not getting back together. This goes for anyone. Um, you know, then all of a sudden you are you're 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 hurt and you're angry because of of um, you didn't get what you wanted. You understand what I'm saying? So you go and you say, because I want to be right before God, I will go and I will own what I need to own. And I will allow God to work in this other person's life. When someone comes here from another church and I sense that there's conflict, um, they, so they just walked away and they left the, the, the church because of conflict, unresolved conflict, I will often send them back 
and say, you need to go make this right. And then, if things are healthy and you feel like you'd still like to come here, that's great. I've had many who I'd done that with and then they never came back, which is good. I had one person say, you know what, I never thought about it like that. They went back and they called me two weeks later and said, I didn't, never realized that I was expecting Pastor so-and-so to be my dad. And when he wasn't that way with me, when he wasn't that nurturing, when he, when he refused to get that close to me, I realized that I was hurt and I said, forget you. I thought, I'm so glad you got that resolved because I wasn't going to be your dad either. Okay? So it's that kind of idea. Okay. All right? Great questions. Um, I love it. I love hearing your all's hearts, your all's questions, and uh, I will do my best to address these as we go through this section on this issue of conflict because, yes, it is that important. It is that important for our own individual spiritual health, emotional health, and it's that important for your marital health, and it's that important for our health as a congregation. Okay? Um, but let me end it with this. Now, sometimes I want to emphasize that things get so messy that you really don't know where to begin. And to even sit down with the other person is going to erupt in a lot of hurt, pain, emotion. And that's where you call in someone who is wise. Someone who can help you navigate, can provide some perspective, and can see what's going on behind the curtain in the backstage and help you deal with those issues. Okay? Very important. Even some of the most godly people in Scripture, uh, in Philippians 4, Paul tells uh, the Philippian church, do whatever it takes to help Yodi and Syntyche get along. Okay? Get in there. Do the hard work, guys. And help them to resolve this because of the Gospel. Okay? If you have other questions, feel free to email them to me, text them to me, do not tweet them to me. I don't know what a tweet is. All right? All right. Father, um, I pray that for all of us, Lord, even right now, Lord, if there is unresolved conflict within our marriage, if there's unresolved conflict with, it, with another person, Lord, that You would take and move in our hearts so that we would do everything within our power through the framework and the understanding of the Gospel, Lord, to make things right. Lord, that Your glory would shine brightly in us and among us. That we would not be enslaved to anger and bitterness and avoidance. But instead, Father, we would be free. We would be free to love and to be loved as you created us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.